This is The Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. We have a very special guest for you today. Gordon Guy is the Chief Executive Officer at Santa Barbara Newhouse, which is a series of recovery homes right here in Santa Barbara. They do incredible work. They've been doing it for 65 years. It's a great story. It's a hopeful message. Uh, if you know somebody who's struggling with addiction or is beginning that journey, this is a great message. So stay tuned. The Good Life is next. This is Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. Thanks for joining us today. My special guest is Gordon Guy. Uh, Gordon is the Chief Executive Officer at Santa Barbara New House, which is a recovery, a series of recovery homes that does great work in the community. We're going to get to that in a few minutes, but Gordon, welcome. Thank you. Uh, tell us a little, kind of just where you were born and raised and kind of what life was like for you growing up. Well, I was born and raised in Honolulu. Um, <clears throat> I lived there until I was 27. Uh, my first job was in the pineapple factory at 14. I worked the graveyard shift, and I became kind of a worker mentality, and I always liked work. I hated school. Kind of a rebellious kid for some reason. Hmm. And uh, I got into the restaurant business about 20 years old as a dishwasher, and I worked for about... Uh, five years in that restaurant, I became the manager there. And uh, all this time I was becoming familiar with, uh, well I'd been familiar with alcohol for quite a while, but I was becoming familiar with some drugs too. And uh, about 25 I got fired uh, because I was having more fun than some of the other people working in the restaurant, a little too much, uh, for the manager anyway. And uh, I kind of stumbled around and went from this job to that and by the time I was 27, I decided it was a good time to leave Hawaii. You know, a lot of people talk about getting off the island, it's too small. And uh, you do get that claustrophobic feeling when you've been born there. And uh, so I went to San Francisco and ended up staying in uh, the West Coast there with a friend of mine for about three months. I got the only DUI that I ever got in my life in 1978 in uh, Monterey County. And uh, this was, I was staying with a good friend. They, the plan was to send me to the mainland and my good friends would ship me around to one another trying to help me turn my life around. <laughs> it's kind of how it worked out. But anyway, from there I went to Las Vegas and I finally kind of settled there for a little bit for a couple of years and that was uh, about six years before I quit drinking and uh, you know Las Vegas there's no clocks and no closing and right. so that was for a while there it looked like it was getting better but it actually wound up getting worse in the long run just about the time I was done in Vegas and ready to go somewhere else so another friend of mine uh, kind of plucked me off and took me to Texas to begin a restaurant company there and it was uh, uh, so I became the general manager there. That was in August 1980. Um, my dad passed away in uh, 1982, which was a sudden thing, and I didn't have the greatest relationship. Uh, I had some regrets over that when he passed, and that really questioned, uh, made me question my actions and my behavior. Um, they always seemed to rescue me for business, but when it came to that 
personal problem of drinking and alcohol and drugs and things like that, I was struggling with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, after two years in Texas, I moved to Arizona. And I actually, I came here in, to Santa Barbara for 30 days and went to Pinecrest. I can't remember exactly what hmm. the uh, year was. but And I didn't remember that or find out until about three years ago when I just happened to bump into somebody who knew at the time and they reminded me of it. Oh, so, really? Yeah. I, anyway, uh, in Arizona, I spent uh, a couple of years there, but Arizona was really kind of where I hit my bottom. I was became a periodic and I would stop drinking on my own for a couple of months, but I never did anything. I would just uh, exist. I would go to work and then go home and I didn't really get anywhere with my sobriety. And uh, I finally was sitting there by myself one day, uh, completely sober, but wondering what's to stop me from going down the, the corner and getting another bottle. And when that happened, uh, I called my sister, who was kind of my Eskimo for many years. She was uh, uh, an Al-Anon, and she never told me about it, but she was. And she told me, go to an AA meeting. So I called the central office there. I went to a beginner's meeting. They told me what to do. That was in uh, August or uh, November 1984. And I've been sober ever since. Wow. Yeah. Do you, so did, did you feel desperate? I mean, was it, was well, there, that, you know, or did uh, you feel mad? Empty. Empty. Completely empty. I mean, uh, everybody in my life, I'd run off all my friends and pretty much all my family. They didn't call me, I called them, and they usually knew if they got a phone call, it was usually for uh, get me out of this and I'll never do it again Right. type of thing. And I did the same thing with God, by the way. It was get me out of this and I'll never do it again. Right, right. But I was completely bankrupt spiritually, mentally, fin financially. Everything was going sideways. And I was fortunate that, it, you know, that uh, moment of clarity where I decided that it was a real problem and I had to change my life had gone by many times. I just never reached out and grabbed it. Mm. And uh, that particular time I did, and I was very fortunate that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is a great program and I participated uh, actively and I've benefited from that tremendously. Let's talk about that for a second. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of people know about Alcoholics mm -hmm. Anonymous and I've heard people I really respect. Um, there's an author named Dallas Willard mm -hmm. who USC professor of theology and just brilliant and he wrote in one of his books he thinks that Alcoholics Anonymous might be the closest thing to the church mm -hmm. that we have <laughs> just because the brokenness it's okay to not be mm -hmm. okay I mean just so many of the mm -hmm. but a lot of people watching this have never been in that room mm -hmm. talk about that room what happens what is it about this thing this this culture mm -hmm. of Alcoholics Anonymous that's so powerful well for me the main thing is it's a relationship with God and the actions that I take as a result of participating in that program uh, is what keeps that connectivity for me. Mm -hmm. And you, you relate it to church, it is like church for me because, and although I went to church in the, when I was a kid and I earned my Sunday school Bible and everything, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, this is a real relationship where I have a deep faith and I know that underlying all my sobriety is that relationship with my God. 
And that comes from what I do in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, what takes place in the rooms is transformation, where people come in and they identify. What happened for me was, I was a rebellious kid. I never listened to anybody. You know, I could read a book and it would say, this is bad, and I would never believe it. You know, I was the kind of person, uh, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, it's going to hurt. Well, I would never believe that until I hit my thumb with a hammer. And that's exactly how it worked out for me. I had to take those actions and trust the process mm-hmm. in the program. And that process allowed me to change my life. And then, uh, of course, you grow over time. It's, you right. know, I'm 35 years sober now. A lot of things have changed in many different ways, but I'm comfortable in my own skin now. Yeah. And I never was before. I wasn't even comfortable in my own skin before I was drinking. Yeah. That's that seems like a theme mm-hmm. of, of a lot of people. That mm-hmm. and it's amazing because it doesn't that comfortability or com- comfortableness mm-hmm. in your own skin is not related to the circumstances necessarily changing. I mean, that's that's no. an in, that's an inside job. Yeah, the the circumstances changing would relate to okay, I put the bottle down. I'm not drinking liquor anymore. Yeah, but. Like I said before, when I was a periodic and I didn't participate in the program, I just didn't drink, nothing changed. Right. Because I had no avenue for it. Right. And uh, the ability to become comfortable socially. I was always comfortable at work because I I knew that and people respected me there. Yeah. Uh, until the end. Right, <laughs> then right. I wouldn't have been, you know. But, right. Um, yeah, it's, it's really... Um, it's difficult to say, if I had sat down 30 years ago and wrote out all the things I wanted out of life, I would have shortchanged myself a lot. Huh. And uh, of course, there's the gift of desperation. If I didn't have that, you know, when I was sitting there all by myself, I never would have gone to that meeting. I never would have made that change. Right. And uh, you have to start somewhere. The gift of desperation, mm-hmm. that is a powerful thought. Mm-hmm. You bet. Yeah, because uh, uh, we'll get back to that in, in a minute. I want to transition into Newhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, you are the CEO. You took leadership. How long ago did you assume uh, A little that over role? six years ago. Six years, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, if you could tell us about the history of Newhouse, mm-hmm. kind of how it started, mm-hmm. what the vision is, and then what goes on mm-hmm. there on a, on a daily basis. This year happens to be our 65-year anniversary. 65 years. Yes. Wow. And uh, in the beginning, uh, Newhouse was not a separate organization. It was a part of the Alcoholism Council on Alcoholism in Santa Barbara. Okay. But eventually they broke away and created their own board and became a, no- a separate nonprofit. And uh, Elmo Little was the founder. He was an electrician. There's a, we have a history book that describes all that. It's fairly detailed. But uh, j- basically what happened was they started with one house and they kind of moved on and over the years they wound up with three facilities and uh, we have a total of 98 beds and uh, you know we serve uh, usually between mm, 275 and 325 clients per year single entry. Wow, wow. Mm -hmm. The, The typical client walks in the door What's the situation? Well, 75% of the people that come in are zero to, say, 15000 in income. 
35% are homeless. Uh, about 65% are between 18 and 35. So the, the vast majority are the younger. Yeah. Uh, but I, being an old guy myself, I always say that um, you're never too old. Mm -hmm. um, a very close relative of mine was really having a lot of trouble at 90 and I spent uh, several days talking and she knew me, she knew my history very well, somebody very close to me. And uh, she was 90, living in a you know, retirement home and uh, she had the problem and she actually stopped and a couple of years later she said, I never knew anything about this, I, did, I knew that she stopped drinking but that was it. And she said, you know, I have two and a half years today. And I said, what? She was tracking it. She knew about the program. She knew a lot that I didn't think she knew. Wow. But she stayed sober at, and she's still, still here, 98, 98 this year. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So 98 beds? Yep. 275 or 300 to about, 350? You know, right around 300 every year. It's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. And uh, our average stay is about 140 days. Okay. Yeah. So almost six months. Mm -hmm. So what happens? What does the, what does the, the day look like for the residents well, at those facilities? The way we are set up, they have from six in the morning to 11 night pretty much on their own. They are required to attend four meetings in the house and two meetings outside. And uh, the meetings are the only thing that they're really, you know, they do a chore in the morning or in the evening, a, a small chore. but. Primarily what they do is they they have the day on their own. We encourage them to work. You know, when they get a job, they use their mind constructively. Yeah. Uh, it really makes a big difference. And the other thing is that, you know, we, we really kind of specialize in structure and accountability because as drug addicts and alcoholics, we're very undisciplined, you know. It's always somebody else's fault and it's there's always an excuse for not doing this or not doing that. And we help the guys to try to become responsible for their own actions and understand the importance of that and really what we're trying to get to is get them to revalue their life. The kids become more important than the alcohol, the relationships, the parents, mm. all of that is critical. Mm. So you're saying six meetings a week they go to, four in the house, right? two outside. That's what we require, require. As, a, as a client, as part of the client program. Okay. And then they do chores. Chores. They're 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 in bed at from eleven to six. I'm they, assuming or well, so. Curfew is eleven, so they have to okay. be in the house by eleven, not okay. a minute later. And then there's meals provided. Correct. Three meals a day, bag lunches if you work, or late plates if you work. Okay. So they're self sufficient as long as they're you know the client fees are thirty one dollars a day. Okay. So and there's no time limit. They can leave in three days or three years. It's up to them. But generally, like I said, it's an average stay of 140 days. We love to see them stay there for six months and develop habits. Right. But if they stay a week, the seed's been planted. Right. They know where to go when it's time, and they hit that gift of desperation. Right. Yeah. Wow. Do you track your alumni? Well, we track. Uh, a lot of statistic, uh, statistics ongoing, they but we really can't track too much outside. I happen to know uh, 50 to 60 percent of the clients at Newhouse are from Santa Barbara. So okay. they all They're keep here. in touch. When they leave, oftentimes they wind up being sponsors for people that come back in. 
Really? Yeah. So there's, there, it never really kind of goes away. You yeah. Know? You're part of the part of the process. We have our event in September every year, and we have a lot of alumni go to that. Yeah, I met several. Uh -huh. Let's talk about that event uh, for for people who are interested in. Mm -hmm potentially getting involved. You have a heart, it's the, called the Heart of Newhouse. Correct. Uh, every September at right. the Hilton. Yep. Um, and how do people get information on that and kind of what's the vision for that well, day? Well, as of, as of the first, uh, be about the 5th of March, the notice will go up on our website and it'll also go up, you know, on Ed Hat and Newshawk and some of the other organizations on the calendars. And I do mailings uh, for Save the Date and that sort of thing. And the Heart of Newhouse was an award, is an award that we actually give to somebody every year. And that person has made a special uh, contribution or been a real big part of the Newhouse uh, program one way or another. We've yeah. given it to board members, we've given it to managers, uh, we've given it to uh, people outside of Newhouse that were great supporters. And uh, we have a lot of people that really love Newhouse. Yeah. Matter of fact, that's one of our new little logos that we're using. It's an I love Newhouse type of thing. Oh, really? Yeah, it's great. And Last year, the one of the recipients was Charlie Alva. Charlie Alva who is a, a legend. He is a legend. He was our uh, he was our founding sponsor. If it wasn't for Charlie, we probably wouldn't have had that event. Oh, is that right? Well, yeah, because the first year was just me sort of saying, you know, we should have an event like everybody else. <laughs> right, right. And getting my neck stuck out. So right. <laughs> w when I did that, I was just, it was just happened, you know. He happened to meet some of our guys in the, at the Smart and Final. Yeah, can you tell that story? Well, what happened was he was in Smart and Final and he saw some guys with Newhouse t-shirts and they were buying a couple of big baskets of groceries. And he walked over and he, he said, I'd, I'd like to buy that for you guys. And sure enough, they had already paid for it. He's, but they said, well, you know, if you want to help Newhouse, go over and talk to Gord. Well, he showed up and uh, we had a good talk for, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 minutes maybe. And I talked to him about the event and uh, he decided to be our sponsor right then and there that day. And He's we've been check. great friends, <laughs> yep, right then and there. We've been great friends ever since. We talk all the time, but, uh, you know, he just has this, uh, and he does this for a lot of organizations. He's a very generous guy, and he's a, um, you know, cares about what goes on in the community. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. Talk about you being there, your office is there. I've been to your office on site. You're in this, I yeah. mean, with these guys. I mean, you're not in some no. high rise kind of no. looking down. I mean, you're in it. You see them every day. What is that like? And what is the reward and the challenge yeah. of being with people who are maybe they're just getting that gift of desperation or they mm -hmm. don't have it yet or maybe they don't know that they need yeah. it or wherever they are? I mean, this is kind of a roll up your sleeves yeah. work. Talk mm -hmm. about kind of that experience for you. Well, it's tremendously gratifying. Um, I can tell you just today, I had a guy come in. I, I was just walking out of my office and he was walking in the parking lot to go in the house. And I said, how's it going? He said, well, uh, my girlfriend's, we're getting divorced. She's moving out of the apartment. Da -da -da -da, all these different things were happening. And he only has a couple of months of sobriety. And I said, well, you know, you really, 
have two choices. You can go back to the way you used to solve problems or you can continue to solve problems the way you have been in the past or the way you have decided to now. Yeah. And I said, the things that are happening to you are real life, life's in session. And uh, I don't think that um, going back to the old way is going to be good for you. I don't think you'd be happy. And I can, I can tell you now that you know, you don't get, you get, the door always swings out, but you don't know if it's going to swing back in. You may not be able to come back. You may wind up going straight to jail, straight to death, who knows. Right. So if you want to gamble that, that's what the risk is. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that happens all the time. Right. I have a lot of mothers call me up and say, here, you take them. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I'm sure. And uh, I have to coach a lot of parents because that's really a big part. Uh, they have a kid living in the back room who uh, won't, you know, doesn't come out but two or three times a day to eat and you never see him, you hear music or video games and that sort of thing and a lot of times it has to do with addiction, Yeah. Uh, sometimes not. But they call and they say, well, what should I do? And usually it's, you know, a kind of a combination of tough love among other things, but... What do you tell them? What do you say to that mom? Well, honestly, I, I, I say, well, you know, you have to have them set goals. Say, well, what, what are your goals for the next three, six, nine months a year? Write down those goals and let's talk about them. Well, first of all, the kid doesn't want to do that. And uh, if he does, then you have something that you can hold them to. They said they were going to do it. And if they don't do it, then they have to uh, be addressed with the consequences. Right which may be, okay, you can't live here anymore unless you're going to do the things you said you were going to do. That's a big part of it, is people taking responsibility for their actions. So, you know, um, and there's a risk for the parents right. in those kinds of decisions, right. you know, and I tell them that. I say, well, you know, this is what you can do. But to be honest with you, uh, just like me, I didn't have a tendency to change until I was backed into a corner. Right. And I didn't see any way out. I had no lies, no excuses, no nothing left yeah. to prove to myself that I wasn't going to go right down the block and get that bottle again. Right. Just no way. And they say about recovery, it's, there's kind of three options, jail, death, or recovery. Is and there, and there's worse it? than that. There's continue to just go on and go on and become a wet brain. You know, I mean, a lot of guys do that. A lot of guys wind up with mental health issues or have mental health issues to boot. There's a lot of dual diagnosis that uh, plays into this that a lot of times people don't recognize because they're too involved in their addiction. Ah, so you can't even get to that. Sometimes you don't know that, you know. They've yeah. been doing it for so long. There's, it, And that's a very difficult thing. How do you... If I was, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes mm -hmm. with that kind of a role, with this kind of a issue, how do you maintain the compassion, uh, the tender heart towards that new mm -hmm. drunk or, you know, person walking in the door when you see this all day long, mm -hmm. all year long? How do you maintain that compassion, that heart for that New newbie, the newest mm -hmm. person to darken the door of mm -hmm. new house. How, yeah. how does that work? Well, they have uh, house meetings uh, where they have all 45 guys at the two big houses get in a room and they have a house meeting on 
you know, in one house it's Tuesday and Thursday, and the other house it's Monday and Thursday. And I will talk at those meetings about once a quarter. And what I say to them is I tell them I love you. I love all you guys. But it's not going to change my behavior in terms of doing what I think needs to be done. Holding you accountable for your responsibilities. Because that's the problem, is there's no accountability sometimes for yes. those things. And uh, I think that a lot of the guys, uh, you know, a certain percentage of the guys that go to Newhouse are serious about the program. They get serious, seriously into it, or they get a good sponsor and they work with them. And uh, really all the sponsors are good. It comes down to how good the sponsee is. <laughs> right. More than the sponsor, but uh, they work the program and their life turns around. And there's other people there that don't work so hard and don't get the results. They don't change, they don't advance their sobriety. And they usually wind up leaving and coming back again later. Yeah. And then there's other people that just are there to get the heat off one way or the other, either for the parents or for law enforcement or whatever it may be. Right. And that will happen a couple of times. But even those people, you know, they see what happens there to the other guys. Right. And like me, for many years, I saw what, what happened for other people, but I couldn't make it happen for myself until I was ready. Yeah. And, that's and it really thing. comes down to when they're ready, right? Yep. I mean, is I'm that what they talk about, the bottom? Yeah, we, you know, parents and family and friends all want people to get sober and change their life. But right. we can want to all we want, right. and we can want them to. But if they don't want to, then we're early. <laughs> it's better to be a little quiet on that at that point, you know. And just wait. Yeah, you have to until, they're, until they ask for help. Right. I say, you know, sometimes people call me up and say, you know, what can I do with my son or my husband or my brother or whatever. I say, well, I'll tell you what, you can give him a little test. If he really wants to get sober, tell him to come and talk to me. And I'll, I'll get him started. I'll steer him in the right direction. He doesn't have to go to Newhouse. I talk to people all the time. Yeah. I have people coming out of my office all day long just to talk. And what that does is it tells that concerned parent, sister, brother, friend, whatever, that obviously he has no desire if he's not even willing to come talk to right. me and find out how it works. Right. Or what it's about. Right. Yeah. Always. It's a good test for them yeah, that is themselves. Good. Right. Will you they actually I mean? just show yeah, up? Yeah, it tells them themselves. Yeah. It's like the goals. Same type of thing. Yeah. We have a couple minutes left, but I wanted to ask you this question. Uh, if you're talking right now to a person who's mm -hmm. in their apartment or mm -hmm. car or they're on Facebook and they're just seeing a a clip and they're desperate they're, mm -hmm. they're they find they're hopeless they're out of money they're mm -hmm. out of friendships they've burned every bridge mm -hmm. what do you say to them well it's an inside job to begin with and once uh the one thing that kept me uh from really getting changing my life and making that change and getting finding that moment of desperation is i was unwilling to surrender. Surrendering to me was to lose. But really what it turned out was surrendering was to win, mm. to give up. My plan for 18 years was to prove that I could drink like normal people. <laughs> and after 18 years, you know what? I ran out of ideas to make that plan happen and <laughs> lies and excuses. So when the plan failed, ultimately and utterly, you know, I reached out for that moment of clarity and I got you know I was relieved of the obsession once I accepted that hmm. 
So it's, and of course, it w I wouldn't have stayed relieved if I hadn't participated in the program all these years. Right. That, that right. perpetuates that uh, relief so of the it's obsession. It's a surrender. You bet. Or yeah. do you want to keep Simple see, as working that. your plan yeah. here? That yeah, work your plan. Keep yeah. at it. Yeah. You know, the elevator only call goes me down. in two weeks and let me know. <laughs> and you don't, ha you know, you don't have to go all the way to the bottom floor. Right. I didn't go all the way to the bottom floor. There are people that had a lot lower bottoms than I had, but in here the bottoms are all the same. Mm -hmm. You know, materially, some people that helps them. Yeah. Other people, it's in here where you know equally, you can change before you get to the very bottom. You know. Yeah. People who are interested in supporting this incredible work that's mm -hmm. going on down there can go to spnewhouse.org. Right. And they can donate. You, are you primarily individual donations, grants? Right. Based? Grants and donations. I mean, people pay, we but don't you take. still need to raise money. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we, I, we can't cover, even, even with 98 paying the fees, we do, last year we did uh, 126 scholarships for... Uh, I think it was about a hundred and eleven thousand dollars. Oh, really? So that's where the donations go. We're, we're, you know, even with all the client fees that the that the men pay, we don't cover all the expenses. So right. it's important. We have grants, donations. We have our fundraiser, and uh, a lot. And that's of the heart of Newhouse. Correct. Okay. So the big fundraisers, heart of Newhouse, lunch. Yeah. That's our really one big event every year. Okay. So. I'd encourage people to check that out. Mm -hmm. um, come to that lunch, give. It's a great event. I, mm -hmm. I went to it last year, and that was that was wonderful. So w we're grateful for what you're doing. You personally, I love hearing your story. I'm glad to have met you and appreciate everything you're you're doing because this is really important work, mm -hmm. and uh, it's God's work. So. You bet. you bet. So we're with you. And oh, thanks, thank you. Gordon, for coming. Appreciate on. it. We appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you for watching. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you next time.